how great is our God and the scriptures that he's given us to know him better. So if you would, um, I'd invite you to open, uh, read Ephesians either in your Bible or up on the screen, Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, so good to be able to celebrate with you all this morning. Yes, Bruce, welcome. It's so good to have you here and all of you that are here today. We just have a few minutes to look at this amazing passage from God's Word. I believe it is so timely for us at this season in our church. There are so many passages of scriptures that have become defining passages of God's Word, and I think this is one of them for the day. So we've been going through the book of Ephesians and this is the passage that we come to. You know, one of the feel-good stories of this past week was the landing, the successful landing of the Mars Perseverance rover. Now, Mike and Melissa, that word perseverance, was it related to the name of the Mars rover that successfully landed this week? One of the amazing things about that landing, it was a, it was a stunning scientific achievement to have this, this the spacecraft land on Mars. And the reason it was such a stunning achievement is that the landing took place in adverse conditions. In fact, mission control could not even have real-time communication with it. So it was all planned out. And the final seven seconds of landing were called seven seconds of terror. And the reason for that is that the landing took place in adverse conditions. And my thought from this passage, you might have read where it says, make the most of your time because the days are evil. And here's something that I want to share with you this morning. The Christian life, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Christian life takes place in adverse conditions. Not only that, but the work of the church, the work of the church for 15 years, the work of the church for centuries, the work of the church all around the world takes place in adverse conditions because the days are evil. And it was Jesus who said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now when NASA landed the Perseverance rover, the reason that they could was their scientific skill, their scientific knowledge, their scientific wisdom. Well, the Word of God, as we read it today, says to walk not as unwise men, but walk as wise. So that means, that's why this sermon is called Walk in Wisdom, Walking in Wisdom. We talked earlier the past couple of weeks about walk in love. Last week was walk in the light. Today it is walk in wisdom. And I want to leave, leave you with two thoughts about what it looks like, what it means for us to walk in wisdom as individuals 
and as a church. So the first thing you see in this passage is that two things about wisdom. Number one, wisdom makes the most of the time. And I want you to look back into these verses that Bridget read where it says in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So every individual, all of us have a choice to either walk in wisdom or not walk in wisdom. But the Bible says we are to walk in wisdom, not as unwise, but as wise. Then it says making the most of the time because the days are evil. One of the, the great things about the Bible is that it's honest. It looks reality square in the eyes. The Apostle Paul was not, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy, Ted Lasso, became a soccer coach in England, always optimistic, always positive. But what the Bible says about, about reality and what Paul writes here is that Christians look reality, the reality of evil in the world, and they're honest about it. It says that the days are evil. So how do we respond to that? What does it mean to walk in wisdom when there are evil days all around us? Well, it says a couple of things there. It says, first of all, making the best use of the time. Now, when I was a young Christian, and people shared this verse with me, I thought that it was a time management verse. I thought it was a verse about efficiency in using my time every day. But that's not what this is about. The Greek the Greek has two words for time. The one that is often used is chronos or chronological time, like that time where I'm looking at right now, chronological time. But uh, the word here is a word called kairos, which means opportunity. It means a divine moment, a divine, oppor a, a divine opportunity. So this passage about redeem, redeeming the time is not about efficiency, it is about destiny. It is about eternal destiny. And to me that raises the value and it raises the importance and the meaning of this passage. It says we're to make the best use of the time. In the Greek there the word is redeem. It means to buy up, to buy something uh, for uh, one of the things we learn in Scripture, because the days are evil, time is in the grip of something. It is in the grip of evil. So what Christians do is they look at evil and they see divine opportunity, and what they do is they redeem it. They buy it. They use it. They put it to good use. And it, it sort of reminds me, I, was, I, I saw something recently, I forget where it was, but it was a guy that was writing a letter to himself back in the 80s, if he could go back in time to 1980, if he could say anything to his younger self, it would be this, buy Apple stock. If you had just known about it. Well, what this is saying, this redeem, in a way it's a business term, but it's about kingdom business. It's about wise living and the wise use of time. <clears throat> and so you've, you've heard about individuals who had a dream for Lake Baldwin Church. One of those, one couple was Jim and Joyce Cunningham. In fact, there was a time, I remember the day when Bruce Halstead and Cindy took us to meet Jim and Joyce and Bart and Judy Johnson and Michael, Mike and Melissa Michelson, but I learned something about Jim. He preached last week, and I said this about him, that in November of 2003, 17, over 17 years ago, Jim wrote in his Bible that he dreamed of this church. So what did he dream about? He dreamed of a couple things, but you know one of the things I heard Jim talk about? He talked about adult baptisms, because what that would mean 
is we would be reaching people who were non-churched, who were far from God, who never had a church background, who would come to believe in Christ and be baptized, and that was Jim's dream. Jim also dreamed. He knew that there would be some people in our church that would be affluent, there'd be some people that would be middle class, there'd be some people that would be on the margins and that would be struggling. But what Jim took was a Martin Luther quote that said, wouldn't it be great if we could convert not only their souls, but their wallets, and in the end, Lake Baldwin Church could become a resource church for the world and a resource church for the city, and we've seen God do that. Jim was redeeming the time. Mike Michelson and Melissa, you heard Mark, Mike talk about how there were about these, all these families moving in nearby and they didn't want it to, the time to go by. They wanted to redeem the time. They knew the time was evil. They did not want time to go by without giving people an opportunity to, to hear about Jesus. Remember, one of the ways that Mike Michelson wanted to redeem the time was he knew that what existed in that land where we were first meeting was a naval training center that was closed in the 1990s during the Clinton base closings. That naval training center had been a training base and a sending base to send people around the world. And Mike said, what would it be like if we planted a church that itself became a sending base for the kingdom of God that would send people into the city, send people around the world, to send people from all, to all over the country to invest in people, to invest in leaders, to invest in the kingdom version of Apple stock, seeing lives transform, transformed by the gospel and redeeming divine opportunities. It's not about efficiency, it is about destiny. Second thing in this passage that we see here, what does wisdom do? Wisdom draws upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you notice verse 18? It says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with all your heart. It's talking here about drinking. Now, a lot of people look at this verse. When I first heard this verse as a young Christian, I thought, oh, this is a command to not get drunk. And that's, that's great. That's fine. But there's so much more here because it is about drinking of the Holy Spirit. It's about drawing on the Holy Spirit. When I was a young child, I played football. And in August, we had football practice. It would be full you know, all the gear that we would wear. And we would be doing the meat grind. We'd be hitting one another. It'd be hot. And we would come in and we would be so dehydrated, so thirsty for water, so needing to be refreshed. I'll never forget the coldest, most delicious drink of water I've ever had in my life. And that's when I was so dehydrated and I put my mouth under a fountain and cold water began rushing through my body, refreshing my body and renewing my body. Now what's interesting is if you go to the Gospel of John, Jesus compared the Holy Spirit to water. And he says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. So in this passage, what it's talking about is don't get drunk with wine. That may be referring to ritual drinking 
around the wine god Bacchus where people would just get drunk and be in this frenzy. So the days were evil back in Ephesus and so there were all these people that were you know, drinking and being influenced by wine because of their worship of the wine god Bacchus. And Paul said, instead of that, I want you to drink of the Holy Spirit. I want you to draw upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And what'll happen is the result of that will be that you will speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, you'll have a worship service. That is why worship is central to Lake Baldwin Church. Not only will you have worship, but you will also be thankful. You'll be thankful to God in all things. Through the ups and downs, you will see the providence of God. You won't be a grumbler like the people of Israel in the Old Testament, but you will be thankful to God. And then it says, You'll be submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Instead of pride, there would be humility. That is the influence of the Holy Spirit. So rather than being under the influence of wine with all the frenzy and everything that goes with that, Paul says, drink of the Holy Spirit. And then the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life will be you'll be part of a church that is where there's worship. You would be giving thanks and you would have humility in your heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That is what he does. So we believe in what we call the ordinary means of grace. We believe that when we gather for worship, when we read God's word, when we pray, whether individually or corporately, that we are drinking. We believe that collectively we are putting ourselves under a fountain of grace where God's Holy Spirit is filling us and influencing our lives, and that is why worship is central and that is why we want to draw upon the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the cool things I like about this passage, our original core group wasn't all baby boomers like uh, some of the people that you've met, and some of the people that I've named, and like myself. We also had some 20s in the group. You saw my son Jonathan. Uh, so Adam and Chandler Michelson were part of that. And Chandler used to say something that I thought was really cool. She dreamed her vision was that the church would be heaven on earth. And that's why I love the results of the filling of the Holy Spirit is that in worship, we would experience a community that would be like heaven on earth. And what happened is that Jesus came to redeem the time. When Jesus looked down and he saw that the world was evil, he was wise, he redeemed the time, and he came down and he, he, he rescued us. It was a rescue operation. It was a rest, restoration operation. And then we see that Jesus not only wanted to rescue us, but he wanted to form us in to a colony of heaven on earth that he would use, that God would use as he built his church. And so there's actually a quote from our, one of our founding documents in your bulletin that I want to read to you because the importance of the Holy Spirit filling the church, us drinking of him and the power of that. We said back then in 2006, we see the church as not only a community, but a spirit-empowered movement. We believe that the gospel will penetrate sub-communities of relationships, common interest, ethnicity, and geographic distance. That's because the Holy Spirit forms a community of love, but he also empowers that community to make a difference in the world. So you guys, we are part of a story that is even more epic than the Mars Perseverance 
rover. When Jesus came down to earth on his rescue mission, he came down to earth because he wanted to be involved in rescuing the planet and rescuing a people for himself, and he wanted to plant this colony. Jesus did not go through seven minutes of terror. He went to, through three hours of terror. When darkness fell upon the land while he was on the cross, three hours of terror where he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the way he rescued us from the penalty and the power of sin by dying on that cross, having his three hours of terror because all of our sins were on him. But then he didn't just stay there. He rose from the dead. He was exalted. He returned back to the Father. And the Bible teaches that he poured out the Holy Spirit on his church so that we would be a colony of heaven on the earth spreading the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, men and women, after 15 years, it's not just Lake Baldwin Church. Every church in the city, every church around the world is designed to be a colony of heaven. We are called to walk in wisdom, to redeem the time, and to draw upon the power of the Holy Spirit as we do it. Would you pray with me? Lord, how amazing it is that you promised that you would build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And we have seen over and over and over again your promise. And so, Lord, for every person here, would you so empower us that we would see that we are passing the torch to additional generations of people who they too would be filled with your spirit, who would invest their lives, who would redeem the time for your kingdom and for your glory. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower us along the way. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.